gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow underway. The Wednesday edition is here. Hope everyone's having a great day. Chad is. I'm going to go ahead and tell that he's having a wonderful Wednesday. Hutton, uh, ever since the great compliment you paid last week with my jacket that made me look like a coach. The coaching jacket. I feel like I'm going to start going more into more evolving into more coach gear. Good. Once again, I feel like I've got kind of a coach's uh, zip up on with the, the hood in the back. So I'm going to go with more and more coach's gear. Yeah. Tank Williams will join us coming up in 20 minutes. We'll talk NFL uh, and more uh, with the former NFL safety and uh, now uh, betting analyst. Primary complaint each and every Wednesday. We're ready. We'll air our top grievance of the week later this hour. Clay Travis, our fearless leader, the Outkick founder, will be with us coming up in hour two. Plus, Danny Cannell, he will have the floor to discuss the Seminoles being left out of the college football playoff. That's later today in the show. Got to hang out with Clay Travis a little bit last night. Speaking of someone who's looking more and more like a coach uh, with his wardrobe, kind of had like a hoodie type um, pullover, I guess you would call it, but yeah. it was sort of a zip well, up and, also. And in the movie Lady Ballers, he's, he's also a coach. Uh, playing a coach in, in that movie. So, you know, that's a life imitating art <laughs> that we saw last night. Uh, speaking of coaching, Nick Saban, once again in the college football playoff, and, Chad, how quickly things have turned and gone the full circle here. In September, the discussion was, is Saban wanting out? Is this his last year? Uh, is this the final season the swan song. of the GOAT? After seven national titles, doesn't seem like the, the, the same Bama team. Well, turns out it is. They're back at the college football playoff, and he's going for his eighth title. And As Glenn Gilbo wrote at outkick.com, the question is, is it still the swan song? If you're looking for the perfect exit to go out on top, this would provide that for Saban. And at 72 years old, what's next for him if he does, in fact, get out of coaching? This has been a discussion point across college football for years upon years. How much longer is Nick Saban going to coach? How much longer is Alabama going to be on top of the mountain? Kirby Smart knocked him off the mountain. Georgia with the back-to-back national titles. Now Bama's back in it. And I just don't buy the fact that he envisions a world where he's not the head coach at Alabama, Chad. I'm, I think he goes out whenever he's told he has to. And I don't think he ever wants to. Given the fact that if you think about the great coaches in college football or just great coaches in general, most of the time they just don't step aside. Uh, especially if you've got things rolling. And the thing about Saban's programs, while he may complain about the, the current setup or the leadership or things that need to change in, in recruiting or NIL or buying players, whatever, he has always adapted. Think about the, the offenses and how that has progressed through the years and how he adapted to the opposite of a pro-style offense, the opposite of what we were used to seeing at quarterback. And since then, he's got a Heisman Trophy winner and, and then some with what he's produced offensively. He's, he, he is able to win regardless of the circumstances and adjust accordingly. And that's why he's back in the Final Four right now. I, I can't figure out if Nick Saban is Joe Paterno and Bear Bryant in the way that they had nothing else but football. That's all they wanted to do was be a coach. Not a ton of interest outside of that. And they, for both men, they essentially coached their teams until they died. And once they stopped coaching, they died. Yep. 
Does does he view himself as that, that he's going to die in a lot of ways if he stops coaching? Or does he have enough interest or maybe he's entertaining the notion of wanting to do some television? He, he's very good at it. He, he likes doing television as the, as the coach of Alabama. He's on every studio show. You know, he gets invited on. He does a lot of interviews uh, throughout the week. So he's gotten better and better at it. I think he's always had the ability to do it. It's about the desire, whether or not he really wants to speak on something uh, that will trip him up. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. He's not falling off in, in any way. So he could continue to coach Alabama at a very high level. My big question would be, what, what does he want ultimately? Does he want to try to transition into a new stage of his life where he's not working the hours of the head coach at Alabama and maybe getting into the TV game or not, or just spending time with grandkids and going to his lake house and doing nothing. I, I don't know that he's wired to do nothing for extended periods of time. Uh, so I don't see that being the case. Does he want to do television? I don't know. Again, I think Nick Saban is going to offer the college football world even more outside of coaching. Whether that be someone that we can watch and listen to all the time on television that gives honest, thoughtful opinion on the state of the sport, or is someone who one day is the commissioner of college football. Wherever this NCAA proposal is going, with this new sub-genre of, of college football programs that's going to be the elite of the elite, they're going to need someone to run that. And yeah. I can see Nick Sa- that Nick Saban being that also. I, I say all of it to say I, I don't know what he wants. He's always struck me someone though that will just coach until he dies. That's the way I I I, I feel that's going down that path. I also think you know it's Nick Saban is someone who's going to be good at whatever he does. And the more I watch him on television, I'm thinking, man, we talked about it earlier in the year. You want to talk about the perfect replacement for Lee Corso as the coach on College yes. Game Day, as an example? It would be amazing uh, to see Nick Saban every Saturday for three hours talking about college football and different programs I, and situations. That would be great, but I I don't know what ultimately he's going to want. I just don't I, I don't view the coach who um, is sprinting to the student section after the victory over Tennessee, getting the team turned around where they were you know they're down until halftime and then they make adjustments. And I don't view the coach who uh, has had maybe his best coaching effort this year as it being the last and final say on his coaching career. Uh, Glenn Gilbo also wrote that, he's like, imagine the swan song season of next year if they went ahead and announced that it's his final year and how that would impact recruiting, come be a part of the final year of Nick Saban at Bama, and how would it impact the, the path they would go, the direction they would go with the next coach that Saban would have the blessing of. He would knight the next head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. See, I, that, I, that would be that would be fun, but I don't think he's like that either. I, I also don't think that benefits anyone unless your successor's on staff. There, yeah. Mike Krzyzewski's you know swan song season worked out well because John Shire, everyone knew, was going to be the next head coach. Yeah. And he was there. So you could hold a recruiting class together. The coach and Wade. John Shire's the one who's doing the bulk of the recruiting anyways for Coach K at that point. He's selling the fact that the culture and the program is going to stay the same. I'm just going to be the head coach. That's how you'd have to do it, where Nick Saban says, I'm done after this year, and oh, by the way, this person on staff yeah. is, is taking over. I don't know who that person is on staff for Alabama right now that he would anoint the, the next person to lead the program because 
to counter what Glenn Gilbo is kind of saying in that that piece, and I haven't had the chance to read it what? yet, and I need to. Yeah. But I don't know that announcing it's your final season while simultaneously announcing that the athletic director, Greg Byrne, is going to launch a search for the next head coach, that's going to destroy your recruiting class. Yeah. In the meantime, no, no one's going to sign up to go there because they have no idea who they're going to play for at that point. But if the bulk of the staff is going to stay together and it's just Nick Saban retiring well, and you're elevating someone, then yes, if that's the way you want to go out, that would be awesome. Well, and you know Milrow's back, right? You're, you're getting some great players back on the roster who aren't leaving. And you've got a you got a chance to go after number nine if you win two more games, you know, instead of just going out on eight. And the discussion we were having in September, Chad, was why did he come back if this is going to be the final year and he knows it, based on the team that we saw on the field then? And now you see why, because of how this team has developed. I, and I, I think the, the, evid- the evidence is clear. He's having, he really likes coaching this team. Yeah, he does. It's He's- not an unlikable team. He's got a renewed spirit. Yeah. I think he lost some of that spirit, it felt like, just watching him a year ago. And this team has revitalized that spirit within him of, of wanting to coach. Um, I, I'm i curious to see, though, I, I don't think Nick Saban is the type that, that in his mind, the way it works with all he's accomplished, I don't think he's going to allow either a great ending or a bad ending yeah. to dictate when he retires. Agreed. So from the outside looking in, him winning a national championship – and then announcing that he's done, that sounds perfect. And the perfect conclusion for Nick Saban to be buried in September and then rally and not lose another game, win the SEC title, win a national championship, retire. That's the storybook ending. But Nick Saban could go 7-5 and five in some odd year and say, guys, I, I'm, it's just not in me anymore. I'm, I'm done. And that's not – he's not going to let the 7-5 and five record affect his no. legacy – or his thought about when he should be done, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't think any outcome in any year is going to be a motivating factor of whether or not he should retire. It's just solely whether or not he wants to keep doing it, and he certainly seems like someone who wants to keep doing it right now. Chad, one thing I do know, I want Saban to be a part of college football when we see the Super Conference form, and we see the expansion to the new television deal, whatever that is, television streaming, for what will be more millions upon millions moving forward after the 12-team playoff contract expires, which will be in 2026, I believe. Yeah, I think he would be the perfect touchstone for different eras of football to have been touched by Nick Saban. That's why I think... And his input. He would be the perfect czar of college football, ushering in this new era of rules surrounding name image likeness of what schools can pay out of the trust of the 50 to 60 teams that are playing top-level college football, scheduling, everything else. I think that would be neat, you know, 30, 40 years from now. Uh, well, we think that they say would be gone by then, but who knows? Uh, the man may live forever. <laughs> the statue but will be there. 30, 40 years from now, we look back to the beginning of this era of college football and think, oh, Nick Saban was the first-ever czar or commissioner of what we now know as college football, and he coached and lived through everything and all those other advancements throughout his career uh, going back to the you know late 80s, early 90s, that would be pretty cool. Loyal to the game is, is college football is, is Nick Saban. Uh, Chad, loyalty is a two-way street, and we're seeing it play out right now across college football, the portal and coaching movement. Look no further than Lexington, Kentucky, for the perfect example of this, and specifically with the quarterback position. A year ago, they went in the portal and grabbed Devin Leary from NC State. Destin Wade, 
one of two twin brothers, Destin and Keaton Wade, that were playing for Kentucky. Well, Destin and Keaton Wade this week announced that they are transferring from Kentucky, and their dad did an interview with Kentucky Sports Radio and blasted Mark Stoops and the program for lying and not keeping their promises about their son. Being told that after Destin started last year's Music City Bowl, and not a great performance, but a bad offense that point in the year, against Iowa, that he was too good of an athlete to be left off the field. He was going to get his shot. Well, he was third-string quarterback this year. Kaya Sharon was the second-string quarterback for Kentucky. He started a couple games last year also. Kaya Sharon is not going to be a quarterback at Kentucky either anymore. Why? Because Mark Stoops doesn't want either one of them to be quarterback. Because I'm guessing somewhere in September or October, when Brock Vandergriff, the five-star Georgia quarterback, was told before the season that he was not going to be the starter, that backline communication started working and teams started to figure out who their next quarterback was going to be. Because I don't think it's just a coincidence that Vandergriff announces he's transferring to Kentucky from Georgia this quickly after the SEC championship game. I don't think it was all worked out in the last three or four days. And also with those guys transferring out, I think they knew for a while they were going to get passed up by a transfer. I don't say this to point fingers or place blame at Kentucky or Vandergriff or the players transferring out of Kentucky or anyone else. I am saying this to simply state that loyalty is a two-way street in the transfer portal. And while people are up in arms about players not showing a lot of loyalty and going for the highest dollar somewhere else and not sticking with their pledge to university, there are plenty of coaches right now that see this happening and think to themselves, this is a great opportunity for me to trim the fat on my roster. Uh, this fat sophomore offensive guard that I have who can't get in shape. See ya. Let's go tell him to go look somewhere else. Hey, buddy, transfer portal's open. GTFO, and we'll go find a new offensive guard from somewhere else that is in better shape. This is happening all over college football. It's not just quarterbacks leaving for big money or wide receivers deciding they want to go try to win a championship somewhere else or play uh, with a better quarterback. It's also coaches saying, you're not good enough, get out, and we're going to go find some, someone else. And I'm not sitting here you know, trying to cry. I'm not shedding tears over any of this. I'm just stating the obvious that coaches are using the transfer portal to their advantage by kicking guys off the team more openly, where in years past that was always frowned upon. Yes, scholarships were year to year, but the understanding was when you sign a scholarship, you are a Kentucky Wildcat through and through or you're a part of the Alabama Crimson Tide family forever, or you're a Purdue Boilermaker till you die. That's no longer the case. Loyalty's a two-way street in Hutton right now. There's not a ton of it in college football on either side. No, and, and from the quarterback position specifically, Chad, I, I think that's what has led to some bad quarterback play uh, early on in careers in the NFL, even at the, the, the top uh, level. Because I'm, I'm looking at all the quarterbacks that are moving into different systems or – the fact that their offensive coordinator, their quarterback coach, what have you, head coach, on the move, and they're not following them, and it's a new system. I don't think that always tracks with the best opportunity for the player. And, you know, it's manufactured now, the movement, by name, image, likeness, more so than the actual development. And different coaches are developing quarterbacks in different ways, different systems, uh, using them in different ways. I don't think that's great for the quarterback growth, and I think that has stunted it a bit. So if you want to go back to 21, when NIL was wide open and we saw the portal and everything else, 
Uh, to me, that's that's more uh, that indicates more to me about why we've seen some offensive numbers go way low this year in the NFL compared to 21 and 22, because I think the quarterbacks and it, it goes across the board. I don't think the coaching aspect is there because guys are playing musical chairs. Dylan Gabriel, Kyle McCord, Cam Ward, uh, Riley Leonard, Max Johnson, DJU, McCall. Like These guys are all headed elsewhere. Well, I, I want to talk more about this later. There's only one group in college sports that's loyal right now. It's the fans. Those are the only ones that's sticking through it, through and through. Everyone else, they, there's not loyalty. It's coach or player. Tank Williams joins us next on Hot Mike. Broadcasting from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Join Chad in the chat right now on YouTube. If you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you. Also say thanks to Tank Williams, who joins us now, former NFL safety and sports betting analyst. Time to talk some NFL. Tank, what's up, man? Hope things are well. What's good, fellas? How's it going? You know, everything's good this way. Great, man. Uh, but before we get to the NFL, are you all in on Washington? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like there are a lot of people in uh, Vegas, especially with Dalvin Washington. I really don't understand the the uh, plus nine and a half spread on that game, yeah. given that Washington have been playing really good ball that improved on defense. And then also, I mean, it's easy to kind of look at statistics and things like that, but it's a different animal once you get between those white lines. These were familiar opponents. It was similar to when people thought Washington was going to get upset at Oregon State. Like, Oregon State whooped the hell out of my Stanford Cardinal. Washington <laughs> saw that on tape, and so they were like, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen to us, and they came ready to play. Washington is seeing what Oregon was doing all the way up to that game. Then they heard on top of that all the chatter about Oregon just coming in. There's going to be a layup for Oregon. They heard all that chatter, and then they did what they needed to do between those white lines, and I think that will con continue on in the uh, college football playoff as well. Take the, uh, the positioning uh, for the playoffs happening right now, the backstretch of the regular season in the NFL. Uh, NFC-wise, the battle for the top seed is going to be fun to follow. Philadelphia yeah. facing San Francisco last week. They were playing their third game in 13 days. San Francisco mm -hmm. went into that game with a 10 days rest in between games. What did you make of that matchup, the, the boat race final score with the 49ers going on the road and winning? And where is Dallas in this hierarchy right now for the NFC? Because we really only talk about two teams. Are there actually three? I believe all three teams are right there. It's so easy to get caught up in the hype that's generated by social media and algorithms and things like yeah. that. So right now, the 49ers are the best thing in the world and they're unstoppable. <laughs> but was anyone saying that during that three-game skid where they were getting their head beat in? No. I will say this, that during that three-game stretch, they didn't have Trent Williams. They didn't have Debo Samuel. And that those guys provide the swag the 49ers when they come out with those two dudes leading them out of the tunnel with the boom box they play with a different energy different swag and that translates between those white lines but as you mentioned leading into this topic like the philadelphia eagles they've had a hell of a stretch but they had to play kansas city and they had another tough game there before they ended up facing the san francisco 49ers so it was expected to have a letdown at some point and when you're playing against a really good team like the niners who have been going back and forth with them on social media and then on each other's text messages and things like that because of the relationship that some of those guys have, you knew it was going to be a physical battle. And I think they just ran out of gas. But at the same time, I feel like the Eagles are still one of the best in class. 
I feel like the Niners, when they have all their pieces together and they're playing with confidence and they're staying on schedule, they're one of the better teams. But let's not get it twisted. Like the Dallas Cowboys, they can be for real, too. We know they can turn over teams like none other. Bland has been scoring a lot of touchdowns. He's been getting burnt lately, too. But that's going to be a little bit of that give and take. We saw that with Diggs as well. But that offense with Dak Prescott, I mean, he's been on like a six-game heater where he's been throwing close to 300 yards per game, multiple touchdowns. He's just been on fire. And so I feel like as long as the Cowboys are playing with that kind of confidence and playing complimentary football on both sides of the ball, they're going to be tough to beat as well. So it just depends on which one of these teams is going to be playing their best ball when playoff time comes. But any one of these teams are capable of representing the NFC and the Super Bowl and honestly capable of winning the Super Bowl. I feel like every time someone doubts Brock Purdy, he proves them wrong. And then we're asking a different question about him. I still find myself, Tank, asking whether or not Brock Purdy is a guy who's going to win a Super Bowl. Uh, as a quarterback, even though he's been terrific as the 49ers QB. Let me ask you the question this way. If you're drafting quarterback out of the current league, and let's just look at those three top NFC teams, what order are you going with Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy? In a fantasy quarterback draft of a guy you want to draft to win a Super Bowl, who are you picking first, second, and third? Jalen Hurts automatically number one. What that man is able to do, with his, his legs is just unbelievable. I mean, that just puts so much stress on opposing defenses when you have to worry about a quarterback scrambling for 40, 50, 60 yards. At the same time, he can cut you up in the pass game, too. And that was one of the things that a lot of people were trying to throw a little shade on Jalen Hurts' game, entering the league, saying that he couldn't be a consistent passer. He couldn't be accurate. But he's proven that he could throw in between the hashes. He can throw outside the hashes. Even when he banged up his shoulder last year, I remember him dropping a bomb to A.J. Brown against the Chicago Bears. I'm like, look at this dude. Like, he hurt his shoulder. He ended up missing, like, the next game or so after that, but he's still throwing dimes like that. So he's really taking this game up to the next level. Now, I think when it comes between Dak and Brock Purdy, it's a toss-up. I think Dak is the better, like, overall athlete. But Purdy has just really impressed me by how he's been able to protect the ball. Now, I understand he had that three-game stretch where he had the three interceptions against the Cincinnati Bengals and things like that. But the reason that Kyle Shanahan likes Purdy and the way that he's so effective in that offense because you put all these weapons around him, he knows where to go with the ball, and he just doesn't make those damn it Jimmy moments. That's what we got with Jimmy Garoppolo. There was always a moment in the game where you just say, damn it, Jimmy, because he either fumbled the ball or threw an interception in a crucial moment, and that's why the San Francisco 49ers lost the game. Brock Purdy limits those moments for the San Francisco 49ers, and that's why they're able to play consistent ball for a longer stretch than they were capable of doing with Jimmy Garoppolo. What's Detroit missing right now that they had, but it seems like they they haven't lost it, but it's it's teetering a bit because we're discussing three teams. I should be mentioning the Lions. They're good. Are they a team that can go on the road in the playoffs tank and win, and win in different ways right now? They are, but Detroit needs to lean on that run game. When they have that two-headed monster going with David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, they eat up clock, uh, getting the end zone, scoring touchdowns, not kicking field goals, and then have the opposing team playing catch-up, then they can pin their ears back and let Aiden Hutchinson and that D-line go hunt and try to get sacks and get turnovers that way. But if you're playing in a back-and-forth battle, if that run game isn't going, then we've seen that that secondary could be exposed. And so I think that's what we've seen over the past couple of weeks where, you know, they're in these close games and they can't just pin their ears back. They don't have a 10-point, 14-point lead, and that allows the team to just kind of pick them apart with their running pass game, and then that defense isn't built for that. So I think they need to play the way that the Peyton Manning coach used to play where they'll get up with a lead 
and then go ahead and let Dwight Freeney and Mathis come off the edge and then eat you alive. Like, that's the best formula for the Detroit Lions to have some success, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, hey, it, Kansas City has always had success in the playoffs uh, in recent years with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. The playoffs go through Arrowhead. Do you feel like it still does this year? Um, because while they have their issues, too, offensively, they're right now the three-seeded eight and four trailing Miami and Baltimore. And right now, representing the AFC in Vegas, odds-wise, is Kansas City. Do you buy that? Yeah. I don't know if the road is going to go through Arrowhead, meaning that they're going to have home field advantage. But I do still feel like they're the team that no one wants to play in the AFC. Honestly, along with Miami Dolphins, I'm sure we'll get to that at yeah. some point. But there's always going to be some ebbs and flows throughout the football season. We're seeing it with the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Now everyone's saying that the Eagles aren't going to do anything because the 49ers lit them up. We're saying the same thing about the Niners. We're saying that to begin the season with the Dallas Cowboys. So you see this common trend that we're having during this conversation that there's ebbs and flows. Everything moves in waves. And so I think right now with the Kansas City Chiefs, their defense was playing phenomenal ball early in the season. The offense has been trying to figure it out all along the way. They need to find some players that are going to step up. I believe Travis Kelsey is going to be one of those guys. And also Rasheed Rice has started becoming that number one guy on the outside for him. And I think those two, along with a complimentary run game with Pacheco, will help get that offense on track. Then if that defense rounds back into form, then the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be formidable and something to deal with in the playoffs like they usually are. So you mentioned Miami. It it's been a while since they won a big game against a team with a winning record. We mentioned yesterday, it's the yeah. middle of last season, uh, even before that. How much weight do you put in that category when weighing where Miami is versus who they've played and who they've won against versus who has beaten the Miami Dolphins? Not a drop. Okay. I don't give a damn about them not being anyone that's good. Uh, when This is the way I look at it. If you're an NFL coach, Who's the last team you want the game plan for? That's the Miami Dolphins. Like, to me, Tyreek Hill is the MVP of the NFL, and there's no one that's close to being second right now because that man started off the season with 215 receiving yards, two touchdowns, two deuces on Los Angeles Chargers, and he hadn't looked back since. We can talk about a narrative where Dak, Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurst have had some down games. Yeah, Tyreek has had some down games as well, but his down games are still better than the average wide receiver. And when he blows up, it goes crazy between those white lines. It goes crazy on the internet. And I'm telling you, the head coach, the offense, and defensive coordinator, and every damn player on that sideline, everyone in the stands, probably lose sleep over him when they're going to play against Tyreek the day before because they're trying to figure out, like, how are we going to be able to overcompensate for this big splash play that this dude is likely going to do against our defense? And so I feel like when you have that much stress when you're dealing with an opposing player, that's a guy and that's a team that no one wants to face. And I understand that they've lost some games. They haven't been able to beat any of your good opponents yet. But I feel like what they're able to do on offense and what they're rounding to on the defensive side of the ball, even though they lost Jalen uh, Phillips, they got my man um, uh, Jalen uh, Ramsey into the fold right now, playing phenomenal ball on the back end. I think the Miami Dolphins are going to be A-OK once it comes to playoff time. If you're a Packers fan, how are you feeling about Jordan Love and his prospects of, of being the franchise guy now and going from Favre to Rodgers to another really good quarterback based on what you've seen recently from him? Yeah, don't you love how the narratives change? What are we talking about? These waves, right? Yeah. Remember in the beginning of the season, he had some success against the Atlanta Falcons teams like that, and they were like, okay. It all changed on Thanksgiving, okay. too, I yeah. felt like. When everybody yeah. was watching him they tear up the Lions on Thanksgiving Day, that's when it started to shift. Right, that's when it shifted because he went through his little lull. I mean, even me, I was looking at him like, man, like as long as the team's playing Jordan Love, I'm playing the fantasy defense. <laughs> like this dude looks terrible. Like he doesn't know where to go with the ball. They can't run the ball effectively. 
But it seemed like something just switched. He has some playmakers like Christian Watson, even though he's hurt now again. He was making some plays for him. The little rookie, Jaden Reed, has just been playing out of his mind, giving them big splash plays in a run and pass game. He's been spreading the ball around a lot and not turning the ball over. He uses his legs when he needs to in order to convert on thirds down and sometimes get touchdowns. And so I feel like he's playing with a lot of confidence. I believe that they've actually molded that system now to his strengths, and he has a good command of the offense and what he needs to do in order to be efficient. And when you just try to be efficient and not do too much, a lot of times that's when the big splash plays come. I believe that's what we're starting to see a lot from this Packers offense now. Former NFL safety Tank Williams with us on Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow here on the Outkick Network. Tank, I'm looking at the the five, six, and seven seeds currently. Uh, Steelers, Colts, Browns, Texans, and Broncos. And then there's the Bills. Regardless of schedule, we, we have placed Josh Allen in a different category than the quarterbacks I've just listed uh, for the teams uh, right now ahead of the Bills in the playoff race. Isn't this a moment that Josh Allen needs to go seize as the quarterback and as the uh, elite tier where he was placed two years ago when he lost the game in overtime in Kansas City? Absolutely. And he has the opportunity to do it right now, this week in Kansas City. I will say this, that I jumped the gun on Josh Allen. I remember they were playing in the uh, playoffs against the Houston Texans way before he became like this household name and they were throwing him right there underneath that tier of Patrick Mahomes level quarterback. And he made some just plays where I was like, yo, you cannot have your franchise quarterback making these errors this late in the playoff game and expect to win games. But then it looked like he just grinded. He noticed all the mistakes that he made that prior year, and then that's when he leveled up. What Josh Allen needs to do right now, they buried himself in a little bit of a hole. He's been turning the ball over. You know, he needs to use his legs a little bit more, be smarter with the ball, not only in the red zone, but in all areas of the field. He needs to be able to put his team on his back and ride him on to a victory. Now, we've seen Patrick Mahomes do that with a lot less. Obviously, he plays with the best tight end, arguably, to ever play the game in Travis Kelsey. But other than that, he doesn't have much on offense. I mean, they have a solid run game, but that's it. But, like, when you look at Josh Allen, I mean, he has two – when those two tight ends are healthy, they're pretty solid. But Kincaid has been amazing as a rookie. You got Diggs, who's one of the better wide receivers in the league out there, and you have some great complimentary wide receivers as well. So I think Josh Allen needs to do a little bit of soul searching, understanding that everything isn't his fault. This is the time where people are going to lean on your leader and you have to be able to pull your team through and no better opportunity to get your swag back and get back on some positive momo than against the Kansas City Chiefs, another team that's been struggling one of the premier games of this week. Got about a minute left here, Tank. Offensive numbers down compared to 21 and 22, just recent years. Defenses have adjusted to the rules, but the rules are still set up for offenses to have success. Why are we seeing quarterback play, not just with backups, it was happening in week one too, Really just average to below average play across the board. You know, it's something I, I just really don't understand. I mean, we've seen stretches where quarterbacks have just been phenomenal. We've seen yeah. Dak in the current stretch of playing phenomenal ball, Brock Purdy. We've seen it from Jalen Hurts. But then at other times you have guys like Kenny Pickett, whether it was all on him or the offensive coordinator, where they just can't get together. And that will probably drag the numbers down. Whatever the hell they're doing up there in New England, that's definitely dragging the numbers down yeah. as far as offensive efficiency and production. So I feel like, I mean, there's like a little bit of bifurcation where you have like the really good players who will still be able to put up some great numbers on a consistent basis. But you got these bottom dwells that are just dragging the numbers down because there's just some awful quarterback play in the NFL right now. Tank Williams has been our guest. Always great to have you on, Tank. We appreciate it, man. And uh, let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, check him out. Uh, Tank Williams 13 on social, uh, sports betting analyst, and much more. Always appreciate his insight here on the show. Chad, uh, every Wednesday, we'll 
chat with Clay Travis. We also, uh, coming up in a little under 30 minutes, Danny Cannell will have uh, have the mic here on Hot Mike. And we also always... If you thought I was fired up about Florida State getting <laughs> snubbed, wait till you hear Danny Cannell about his knolls. And we also always uh, air our top grievance of the week. I'm locked in, ready to go. I know you are as well. Pissed I was born ready. When it comes to primary complaint, Hutton, I was, I was born... This, I was born to do this job, to complain. We get to do it once a week. It's coming up. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Join us to complain. Next. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hunting Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, I love a good troll job um, with, you know, uh, especially college sports. Yeah. You know, the uh, as long as it's all fair game. Pat McAfee trolling Georgia at the SEC championship game on college game day, picking Alabama after getting all the fans to chant along with him was awesome. It was also very, almost too WWE in a way. And my big takeaway with the quote as to why he's trolling Georgia fans, he's picking Alabama because they were angry with him, Georgia fans angry with him for replacing David Pollock. The quote was, it was a nice little reminder that, hey, yeah, you can go to hell too for what you said to me all year. I, I, I see this and I think, man, he... He's really bothered by the fact that he's not liked on game day compared to other programs. Yeah, he, that's my takeaway. Well, if from you it. remember, he's responded he, to it all year. Yeah, and I, I can't tell with him. Like Kirk Herbstreit, legitimately gets upset about any criticism of him, and right. he goes off on people constantly on social media that that says he favors one team over another or gets something wrong or whatever. He he takes it personally when someone does that. With McAfee, I can't tell if he's legitimately angry about it or he's just really good at selling the play uh, yeah. in WWE-type style. But that's why I think he's not uh, – he hasn't been accepted on game day from the fan base. Yeah, well, I feel right? – re- remember the the Athletic did that poll and they asked readers if they liked him or yeah. didn't like him or didn't care. And remember, it was like 70% of people didn't like Pat McAfee or whatever. And, he reposted that and said something like, I don't need a, know a single solitary soul that reads The Athletic. So I have no idea who these people are right. that hate me. I can't tell if that's him being legitimately bothered by it or if he was legitimately bothered by it, would he repost it and say that? But he also and said, like, I, don't, see the I don't have to do game day like moving forward. You know, that was another yeah. thing that he put out there. I, I think he is legitimately bothered by it uh, because he, he's he's – more polarizing on that show than other shows. Well, and it's, it, it's, it's just it's a, the fact that you don't know it, how to answer that, Chad, as to why he's polarizing with the viewers, the audience. It's a totally different world in that people that go to his show, yes. especially when they were seeking it out on YouTube, they know him, they like him. You know what you're getting. So you're getting almost universal praise that people love you because they found you and they like your personality and all of that, right? They're like-minded people watching I'm sure that's the same for whatever his ESPN ratings are on that show now that his show is linear as well as on digital. 
Um, college game day is a bigger audience for a show like that that exposes yeah. you to different age groups, demographics, everything. Some of them aren't going to like you. M- maybe he does take it overly personal when people go after him uh, in his his work on college game day. I think he's good. I, I think it's yeah. the the sort of energy that the show needed. Um, I mean, if I'm ranking college game day host, he's certainly not dead last. That's Desmond Howard to me. And it's been worse since the whole Michigan scandal where he seems almost sedated week after week uh, since that happened. So I don't think McAfee's an issue for the show. Um, I don't see them wanting to move on from him, given the investment into Pat McAfee with his daily show and him on college game day with ESPN. So does it bother him? I don't, it's a good point. Maybe. Well, or maybe he's just being a pro wrestler the way he is yeah. and playing up, playing the the whole feud up. Yeah, and I, I guess I, I don't know if you have to be the the heel. You know, you don't have to play a role on that show, right? And I think it's kind of uh, it's just obvious it's more forced than not. Yeah, every open as of a, the show as a role, they go to him to do to get the crowd chanting. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, they open. They have the the written out open from from Reese Davis. Then they throw it to McAfee to turn to the crowd yeah. and get them chanting something, and he's just cutting a promo and gets the crowd to go along with him. It's always very good yeah. and very energetic and a good way to start the day. I, I, I'm fine with that role. I, I'm fine with it being mainly entertainment when it comes to Pat McAfee. You're going to get the hard-hitting analysis from Kirk Herbstreit, who I also think is terrific. Lee Corso is what Lee Corso is right now, but he's an institution in college football, much like Dick Vitale in college basketball, regardless of what you think yes. about his ability as a color commentator right now. That's Lee Corso in that seat for college game day, which is, again, why going back to our initial conversation, I would love to see Nick Saban on a show like that, talking about every game every week. Uh, maybe the, maybe this is way too old school. I, I just want that show to have more voices that I care about hearing from when there's news. Instead of entertainment and playing a, a character, you know, like cranking who, who McAfee is up to 11 instead of, you know, walking around. Normally he's at a six, you know, if we're just playing, he's, he's himself, but it's over, it's exaggerated. And I, I mean, I don't go to game day to hear from Desmond Howard on what he thinks about certain issues, right? Like I, I, I want more of what Herb Street's bringing to that show specifically to that show. If I want McAfee's show, I know where to find it. Yeah. And I hope that makes sense. Like it's to a me, good point. That, that's, that's the polarizing aspect but of that's, it. That's Nick Saban. Sure. Nick Saban is the type of guy that every time he speaks about an issue in college football, if he does so as not the head coach of Alabama, yes, right. in a freelance, I can talk about every team now and whatever I want to say, it's newsworthy. Yeah. Whatever he has to say about anything, it's going to be well thought out. And it's going to be newsworthy. So if you want that, you need someone with that gravitas. And there's not many people in sports that have that. You're right. So I don't know who you replace. Eventually, well, Lee Corso is going to have to be replaced. I don't, I don't know who that's going to right. be. Yeah, and Bar- see, Barkley's the, the best of both worlds there. Yeah. The entertainment. He can and, be the, the WWE yeah. type personality and right. also someone that you want to hear what he has to say about something. Yeah. The Outkick Store, playing on a new field. That's right. The new Outkick Store just launched. And to celebrate, we're offering a buy one, get one 50% off deal for a limited time. You can find our favorite polos, T-shirts, and more when you visit shop.outkick.com. Score 50% off. All you have to do is visit shop.outkick.com and add the items to your cart. The discount will be automatically applied. You won't be complaining about that discounts. 
But on Wednesdays, you can complain as we air our top grievance of the week. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Hot Mike's primary complaint. Guys, my primary complaint this week, the idea that we need statements released from quarterbacks or any player entering the portal, uh, especially those that have been at a university for about a year, if that, um, thanking the, the program and the coaches and your teammates and the fans. No one cares after one year if you're bouncing to go play for a different coach and a different program that you it actually meant something to you where you were after two semesters and your first season starting, if that. Um, the, the lengthy statements aren't needed. And I, honestly, it's... It's not something that is is warranted, given the fact that you're probably going to try to leave wherever you're going. You'll be thinking that fan base too. That's my primary complaint. My primary complaint is when you have the perfect response in a group text setting and you think, okay, this is exactly what needs to be said right now. Uh, maybe it's a little bit clever. Maybe it's funny. Maybe it's just what I want to say to everyone in the group. But your text doesn't go through in time oh. and someone else nabs it from you. And then it comes through after the fact, and you look like a moron because you're saying the exact same thing someone else said, but you didn't realize the text didn't go through immediately at first because of whatever cell zone you were in at the time. It feels like I've been robbed any time that it either it's slow to go through or I'm the second person to say the obvious joke after something comes in on, on the text chain, and I, it looks like I'm just repeating the person in front of me. Man, that gets to me every time, and it's my primary complaint. Guys, I already know I'm going to get some backlash for my primary complaint, but as people trying to sell me on the Army-Navy game, I get it's a tradition. I get that there's a lot of pageantry that goes around it, but if you're selling me on the game, man, come on. we got two five and six teams. Somebody's going to talk about how they're going to be running the triple option. Spoiler alert, they stopped doing that this season. Also, if we look at it from the standpoint of I get it's the only thing on, but the total's at 27 and a half. It's just like you're trying to sell me on watching the Patriots play the Steelers on Thursday night. It's not going to be fun. I'll sit through it because I'm a degenerate, and I'm going <laughs> to bet the under this time. But I just – I get frustrated with people saying, like, this is a great game whenever the game itself is not. And that's my primary complaint. Yeah, look. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? I, I get if you don't want to see low scoring run every single play football, uh, that's going to be a lot of punts and not a lot of passes going deep in the air, then you're not going to like this game. The storylines within the individual players are great. Yeah, I, it's, it's one of those that I like to watch the two hours leading up to it at times more than the game itself. I'll watch the game. It'll be on the background. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I watch every second of every Army-Navy game and right. love every second of it. But I do love the build-up to it. I love the march on with the cadets and the midshipmen. I like the backstories of some of the players, the human interest stuff leading up to the game. All that stuff I love. And I like that I like that we still have something old-timey in America. And this feels very old-timey every year that that game gets its it, own Saturday. It feels right? like... Isn't it cool that they yeah. wait and then play this yes. the week after championship yes. week? Do you like think that's, it's just so people will watch? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, but that's it's also to honor our military, Davey. Yeah. <laughs> that's I the mean, biggest part a, is we want to celebrate the men and women that protected service, right? The, from year to year, they'll go on to a bowl game. But this is, in effect, the their championship. You yeah. Know? And, and also, um, it is a bucket list game to attend. It is if, very if cool. If you have either. not been. The, the march on, the... The idea is, is you've got the, the cadets um, and who are marching on, and you know that they're signing up to serve our country. And then the players, the same way. Um, that is something to go and watch and, and take in. It is incredible. It was a great experience uh, in the snow whenever uh, Chad and I had the chance to do it in Philly. Yeah, my cousin David just graduated from West Point, and he's been able to go to the game as uh, a cadet. And he's now training to be an Army Ranger. And uh, he could have gone to almost any academic institution he wanted, but he signed up to go to West Point, and now he wants to go be a Ranger. That's not something I necessarily would have signed up to do, and more power to him. I give him well, credit for wanting to do that and getting that education. And Hutton, having been there, I, I was at one in Washington, D.C., where they played in Landover, Maryland. But the lead-up to it was in D.C. We were at the one in Philly right. where it started snowing right before kickoff, which was neat yeah, it was to great. watch. Um, it, the amount of dignitaries that are at that game and money, yeah, like big-level stuff that I'm never around, the power circles of Washington, D.C. that will attend the Army-Navy game that have ties to either the Naval Academy or West Point, that's pretty impressive to witness also. And it's just a, like, is it a great game? Not every year. Uh, is it? Is it worth watching the finish? Yes. Uh, if it's close, absolutely. And I also liked watching the triple option. It was my one day a year where I'm buying into it. And you're either, like, if you don't have uh, one side or the other, you base it on your, your family tree, right? At some point, someone served in the military. Or uh, whoever you have money yeah, on. Yeah, well, that too. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm normally Navy because my grandfather was in the Navy. Same as Chad, I believe. Yeah, so my, well, my uh, my dad was in the navy. Okay, oh, that's that's. I, I I grew up rooting for navy every year. Also, the only time I remotely thought about changing was when my cousin was actually attending. Yeah, West Point. He was there at the game, but uh, no, I'm I'm navy through and, and through. If, and if you hate the portal and every nil and everything else, like that's a it's it's a throwback that was has always happened. But it feels like if you want college football to be what it was, that's the closest thing you're ever going to get. I just want the more, I mean, I, I get, I, I totally get people don't want to watch, you know, option football or a bunch of punts or a 13 to 10 game. If that's what ends up being, that, that's fine. Aesthetically, that's, it, it's in the eye of the beholder. I just think we need more things that are throwback. Yeah. That, that's an institution. And we don't have, I feel like we lose a lot of that every year in America. And this is one that regardless of I'm, if I'm going to watch every second of the game, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I watch every second right. of every Army-Navy game, but I do record the build-up to it and watch all that stuff, even if I'm fast-forwarding through commercials. I'm watching it. I like that we still have it. I like that it happens on its own Saturday. I just looked up Ken Niamatololo to see what he was doing. He's the director of leadership at UCLA, according to Google. Maybe he's going to take over for Chip Kelly. He'll be the director of football <laughs> once Chip Kelly gets fired midway through next season. Coming up. Danny Cannell joins us. We'll give him the floor, and he discusses how upset he is that Florida State was left out of the college football playoff. What's next?